Thank you, Pastor Steve. Um, since I have the microphone, I'm going to give an extra plug for our Thursday nights because I get to hang out with the kids on Thursday nights, and it's my favorite thing. So bring your kids here. And then we're offering a really cool class for parents. Um, Pastor Brooke Maxwell is going to be teaching a class on how to disciple your family. What can you do as a family to help uh, teach your kids about God? So it's a class for the parents. So while we're up here with your kids, you can learn some practical tools and things downstairs. So, And maybe you're like, I don't have little kids. Well, if you've raised kids and you know what you're doing, show up. There's some younger parents that would love to hear some of your experiences. So Thursday nights, we love it around here. Uh, we're excited to get them started back up again. So we are continuing on in our series of Colossians. We're talking about the good news of Christ. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Um, we've been talking about this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Colossae after he had had a visit from a friend who had informed him of some of the stuff that was going on in the church. So Paul's in prison, but he gets word from a friend and he gets this update about what are some of the things that this church was dealing with. And specifically, they were dealing with teachers and leaders who were starting to teach them some things that were confusing them. And so Paul decided to address it by writing this letter. And so today we're going to be looking in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be studying some of the things that Paul is addressing in the church. And I want to just give a quick heads up. We're going to be talking about some of the things that Paul is asking people to get rid of in their lives. And that's going to include a pretty in-depth dis uh, discussion on sexual immorality. And so I know some of you have your kids up here today. We love them. But if they're not quite ready for this conversation, conversation, this would be a good time to maybe take them downstairs. So um, we're going to pray. So nobody, <laughs> I was going to pray so it wasn't awkward, but that's okay. We'll still pray. All right, here we go. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. We thank you that we can gather together that your word has everything we need for life and godliness. And Jesus, I just pray that as we dig into your word to see what you have to say about things that are very real affecting our lives and our world. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, there's so much confusion in our world. And yet we know that you always bring light and clarity and truth. And so we're leaning into you today, Father. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go, everybody. So they were dealing with all kinds of stuff in the church in Colossians. They had these false teachers who had uh, come and started to teach some things that Paul wanted to address. The people there had come to faith with the understanding that belief in Jesus, in what he did on the cross, would forgive them from their sins, and they would begin a new life as a follower of Christ. But now, there were people who were calling, coming in and telling them that in addition to belief in Jesus, they needed to also follow the regulatory customs and laws of the Old Testament in order to be a Christian. And on the other side of that equation... The people there were being influenced by the philosophies and the cultures of the day that was diminishing the message of the gospel. Now, this included humanistic thinking that told them that it didn't really matter what they did with their bodies as long as they believed with their minds in God. There was also something in the culture that included um, indifference for caring for people and instead focusing on yourself and whatever you need and whatever you want, that that was the highest thing to think about. And the culture also included very pagan things 
a pagan society that worshipped other idols and included all kinds of disturbing and concerning practices. So Paul, hearing about these things that have started to come into the church, sits down and writes this letter in hopes of giving them some clarity in regard to these issues. So we're going to look at chapter 3 of Colossians today, which is fun because chapters 1 and 2 that we've been covering the last couple weeks, Paul's been laying this uh, theological groundwork as to why the gospel is good news that doesn't need anything added to it. But now that he's gotten to chapter 3, he's going to start to lay out and get down to the practice of then how do we live as Christians? How do we walk this thing out? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So Paul first starts out by talking about changing their minds. He first says, if you want to be a follower of Christ, here's what you got to focus on. You don't need to focus on all this or all this, but here's where we're going to start. Focus on your mind. Paul begins by telling them one of the first things you have to do to start walking out this life of faith is to shift the way you think about this life. Don't think about your life the way you used to think about your life. He tells us that if we want to be followers of Christ, we start by making an entire mental shift as to what we focus our minds on. He says that now we think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, does that mean that we just get saved and hide out and be like, I just wait for heaven, Lord. I'm just going to hunker down and I'm going to only think about heaven. Well, no, that's not what he's talking about. It means that our focus shifts from thinking about how we can build our kingdom here on earth. And instead, we focus on how can I build the kingdom of God, right? Jeff talked about this beautifully last week. When we shift our minds to the things of heaven, our work becomes less about being successful or getting a paycheck or making a name for ourselves. It shifts into how can I use my work to bring glory to God? How can I use the things that I do every day in order to build God's kingdom? When we shift our minds to the things of heaven, our families become less of, what do I want? Uh, I just want my kids to have a good life. I just want my kids to be happy. It shifts to, how am I raising these kids for the glory of God? How can I raise these kids to love Jesus, to serve him, and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? When we shift our minds to the things of heaven, our personal lives become less of, what do I want or what is going to make me happy, to what can I do today to honor God? And if that means I have to give something up or I have to lay something down, it's worth it because I'm not on this earth to build my kingdom. I am on this earth to build the kingdom of God. You see how that mental shift is central to being able to walk out a life of devotion to God? If you don't shift your mind when we get to the next couple points of the things that I'm talking about, about how to change your actions, you will not be able to do it. Many people are trying to change their behavior without changing their minds. 
And so when the moment arises for them to do something that feels good in the moment, but we know it's not God's best for us, we have to stop and say, hold on, is this worth it? Is this going to help my life build the things of heaven? Or is this going to pull me back into the things of earth? And so if we want to have victory over areas of our lives, we have to start with this mental shift. Don't think about the things here. Keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom of God, and everything can flow from that. Amen? So if you want to live a life that honors Christ, the first thing you have to do is shift your thoughts from the things of earth to the things of heaven. Now Paul shifts his focus away from thoughts And he moves into the body. He moves into our actions. Here's what he says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Okay, here we go. It's not just enough to think about the things of heaven. You have to shift that into your human body and your actions. It's not enough to just think these things. It has to translate into the actions that you do every day. You can't just love God in your mind and yet keep doing whatever you want with your bodies, including your sexuality and your words and your actions has to go together. If we want to be a follower of Christ, we have to put to death, put aside the actions of our bodies that pull us away from the things of God and pull us back into the things of earth. And Paul decides to get really specific as to what that means, really practical, and give them specific examples of the things that they need to get out of their lives. And Paul starts out with five things that all pertain to to sexuality. And it might seem a bit redundant of like, okay, Paul, you got us with the first one. You don't need to keep telling us on and on. But if you look at this, it's actually a progression of sexual sin that will affect us at different levels. The first thing he talks about is sexual immorality. This is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. If you're single, It's any kind of sexual activity. And if you're married, it's any sexual activity with anyone other than your spouse. Paul says, you got to get rid of that. You can't do that. You used to do that in your old life. But now, if you're thinking of the things of heaven and not the things of earth, this has to go. You have to get rid of that. So he starts with sexual immorality. Then he moves on to impurity. This is literally translated to the word unclean. This can be defined as anything that corrupts or twists sex into something dirty. And if you think of anything that takes sex and makes it seedy or deviant, that's what Paul is addressing with this word there, impurity. Next, he moves on to lust. Now, lust is sexual passions. 
One commentary defined it as that which befalls someone because it actually means suffering. The word actually means suffering. These are strong feelings not guided by God. The world, uh, this word would include pornography, looking and reading things that stir up passion for someone other than your spouse. Now, we're not talking about normal human sexual desire. This is a step further into fanning the flames of desire in a way that's outside of marriage. It is a passion that cannot be quenched in a way that's honoring to God. We're to put aside lust. Then the progression keeps moving on to evil desires. These are ugly, harmful cravings. This is literally criminal, terrible things. This is rape, abuse, exploitation, manipulating others into sexual activity, and the mistreatment of people using sex. Then he moves on, and he says, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, greed, if we saw that word anywhere else, we would think, well, Paul's talking about money. What, Paul lost his train of thought and just jumped over to start talking about money. No, context is everything, so it's in the middle of this list of sexual sins, and he adds this thing that says greed, which is idolatry. So in this context, Paul is including greed in a list of sexual sins and connecting it to idolatry, which adjusts the meaning. He's talking about obsessing over a person. He's talking about having to have them, to own them, to covet someone, wanting to possess them for yourself, depending on them to fulfill you as a person. We can all look at like, oh, I'm just obsessed. I'm obsessed with him, right? It can be a fun thing. But all of you know of a moment when someone's obsession over someone else has turned into something very dangerous. And Paul is saying, you can't want to own another person. And if you don't keep this all in check, it can grow and grow and grow until you are obsessed. Okay, everybody doing all right? Everybody doing okay, all right, stay with me. So why is it important that as Christians, we keep purity in our bodies when it comes to sexual things? Why is that important, right? Many people would say, well, what I do in the privacy of my own home or in my mind doesn't matter. But I want you to look at the progression of that list. Do the things on that list affect only you? Does it only affect you? Does lust only affect you? Does sexual immorality stay just in you? Or does it affect the people around you? Do the things on that list cause hurt and pain and harm to others? Paul tells us what will happen when we don't surrender these areas of our lives. Look again at Colossians 3, 5, and 6. He says, put to death all of these things, because in verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, what does that mean? Is it mean that God is ready to throw a big temper tantrum if we don't get our act together? Like, you know, with your kids, like, I'm going to warn you one more time. Like, the wrath of God is getting ready to come, right? I'm warning you or else... That's not what this means here. The wrath of God has to do with the fixed justice of God that is in place. God's anger is not a spontaneous emotional outburst, but it's a holy God's necessary response to sin. The only reason the world does not fall to pieces is the mercy of God pushing back evil in the world. Sin affects humanity 
in all kinds of ways, but it is always to kill, steal, and destroy. And that means individually, and that means collectively as a society. It's always destruction and death. And the only reason we can live in this world is because the merciful hand of God is keeping evil in check. It's the only way we can be here. If evil was really going, we wouldn't even be able to survive. But Paul says, because of the choices you have made to choose sin over God, you are now reaping the consequences of the choices you have made without the hand of God stopping it. Does that make sense? He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Not God's waiting to smite it, but present tense. We are experiencing the results of our sexual immorality in our lives and in our culture. Paul talks about this in another letter he wrote to the book in the church of Rome. In Romans chapter 1, he says this. Yes, they knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. I want you to remember that word confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them. Now I want to stop there. That doesn't mean that God just walked away, forget it. It means that he handed them over, meaning that God allowed people to experience the consequences of their choice. God handed them over to experience it. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator themselves, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned, again, handed them over to their shameful desires even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Okay, hold on. Paul is not picking on homosexuals here. He is literally saying, over here, I said, here are the parameters. Husband, wife, sex only in this context. But you said, we don't like that. We want something different. We want to be able to do what we want. And so God said, okay, if you're making that choice, he abandoned them to that choice. And all of a sudden, confusion, depravity, taking something beautiful, confusion, idolatry, people becoming obsessed, and the whole progression that we just read in Colossians 3, how it got worse and worse and worse and worse. That's what started to happen. Now, when Paul talks about homosexuality here, in this time and in this culture, sex was only about one thing. It was about having kids. 
It was about having babies, right? This was how you preserved your legacy. You wanted to have a family. You wanted as many kids as possible. So the idea that you would have sex with someone who it couldn't produce a child was so foreign to them. They were like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Why would you do that with someone in the same gender? You couldn't possibly have an heir from that. And so what Paul is saying here is like, back 2,000 years ago, this progression that has happened, he's gotten to the point where he's like, and guess what's happening now? I don't understand this confusion. You see what he's saying? That's why he's talking about it. Now I want you to think about our world today. Is this progression still happening? Yeah. Is confusion about sexuality growing? Yes. Because of the choices we made. We said we want it the way we want it. We don't want to live with those parameters. And now we are reaping the consequences of our choice. And now we have confusion. We have depravity. We have all of these things happening. We are experiencing the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not a lightning bolt that thunders down from heaven. The wrath of God is God saying, okay, that's what you want. My hand of protection is being lifted on that. If you keep choosing that, you can choose it, but you're going to experience the pain because everything God does for us over here is for our highest good and our highest benefit. If he tells us no, and we might hate it, and we might even not totally understand why, but if he says no, it's for our protection and our safety. And when we say, I know better, we are removing that hand of protection, and we are suddenly left with the consequences of our behavior. He lets us do what we want, and when we do that, we then suffer the natural consequences of those decisions, and it affects us and our families and our society. It keeps growing. Look at all the things that Paul lists in Colossians chapter 3. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Would you say that people having sex with whomever they want has caused enormous pain and hurt in the world we live in? Yes. Absolutely. When we talk about the abortion problem in this country, wouldn't a lot of unplanned pregnancies disappear if people who weren't married weren't having sex? Yes, we're reaping the consequences because of a decision that we've made. Would you say that lust is causing problems in our society? Yes. What is the result of pornography on marriages and families, let alone thinking about those who are victimized in the creation of pornography? What about evil desires? The rates of sexual abuse in our society are almost unbelievable. Current statistics are one in three women and one in four men have experienced sexual violence in their lifetime. Human trafficking, rape, objectification of women and children. Because we have refused to hold our sexual desires within a framework that God has given us, we are experiencing the wrath of God on the earth, which basically means we're reaping what we've sown. So when we hear the message that we should open wide the floodgates of what is acceptable sexually in our society, we need to remember that we can do that, but there will be a consequence to that decision. And lest we all start feeling very pious and churchy about our sexual morality, you need to know that statistics show us that sexual immorality inside the church looks exactly the same as sexual immorality outside the church. 
So before we start pointing at the world and telling them to clean up their act, we need to clean up our own house. And if you're unsure about that, you can read Romans 1 and where Paul comes after, but then you go right to Romans 2 and he turns to the church and says, you're, you're no better. And he lets them have it too. <laughs> if just the Christians in the United States operated with biblical sexual integrity, imagine the change that would begin to happen in this world. There is an answer to this problem. I don't mean to be hopeless because there is an answer. It's to do what Paul says and get back in line with what God has said. He says, put off all that stuff. Get back, get rid of it. Come back into alignment. When we come back into alignment with God's plan, that hand of mercy is restored. And you know what happens when that hand of mercy is restored? Confusion begins to go. Misunderstanding begins to go. God changes our desires. He begins to renew us. He, we fall back in line with what is true in God's word. And suddenly we find so much more clarity. And so we can do that personally. That's what Paul is saying. Tuck yourself back in. Put the genie back in the bottle, right? Go back to what I had said originally. We can't change the whole world, but if we make a choice in our lives to submit our sexuality to the authority and lordship of Jesus, that hand of mercy and protection will come back into place, and we will see that confusion begin to dissipate and clarity begin to emerge. We can change the trajectory of our lives and our families and protect them from the consequences that happen when we live outside of God's boundaries for sex. Paul goes on to address anger, rage, malice, slander, other things. These are also actions that will keep us from growing in our relationship with Christ. Okay, I'm moving on. Are you all okay? Okay, good. All right. So Paul tells us to shift our thinking. Stop thinking of the things. Stop thinking like everybody else. Shift your mind to think of the things of heaven. Then he tells us to get rid of stuff in our actions and in our bodies that keeps us outside of God's plan. And lastly, he tells us what then we need to put on, and I call that the heart. What do we then fill our lives with? Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul listed five vices earlier. Now he lists five virtues to counteract those things. What is the remedy for all of those things? It's to put on these beautiful new attributes of God. When you think about those things that we talked about, sexual immorality, what's the focus in all those things, right? Myself, what I want. I don't consider anybody else. I don't consider the effects on anybody else. I'm totally focused on my own desire and what I want. So Paul says, you get rid of that, and here's what you start to do. You fill yourself with love and compassion and forbearance, which is looking outward at others and above all else, love. It's really hard to hurt someone that you love, right? All these things uh, that we talked about, put us at the center of the narrative and what we want and what we feel. But Paul shifts and say the secret to living in the freedom of the good news is to clothe yourself with these beautiful attributes instead. Compassion. 
This is affection and tenderness towards people, seeing them the way God sees them. Kindness, being good to people, acting uprightly towards people. Patience with one another. This is long-suffering, means suffering long with people. Forgiving one another. This means to give freely. It's a favor that cancels out what they owe us. We just cancel it out. I love the NLT version of this verse that says, make allowance for each other's faults. I think of that all the time because it's just basically you just know people are going to mess up. People, people say things they shouldn't, do things they shouldn't. So if I carry that in my heart of, yeah, I do it too, make allowance for each other's fault and forgive them when they mess up. And above all, put on love. Paul says that loving one another is the secret sauce that will bind us all together and shift our focus from ourselves to others. If we want to live a life that honors God, we have to address these three areas, the mind, the body, and the heart. And Paul gives this really beautiful analogy here in verses 12 and 14. He says, we are to clothe ourselves with these godly characteristics. You can come up and start playing, Jeff. We're to clothe ourselves. I like this analogy because it's something we can all fully understand. Because it looks to me like every single one of you clothed yourselves this morning. Oh, wow, tough crowd. Yeah, okay. Unless there's something I'm not seeing, it seems like all of you are clothed. Okay, excellent. So what do I do when I'm getting dressed? right? I start the day and I get up and I think about what my day is like. I start to think about what is, what is, what do I have to do? Where am I going? What's the temperature? What, what shoes should I wear? Cause if I'm running around, I'm not wearing those heels today, right? I start thinking about my day in the same way. When we are to clothe ourselves, we start with our minds. We think about God, what is today going to look like? What might I face today? How can I think about the things of heaven and not get so caught up on the things of earth? God, if this temptation comes my way, help me know what to do. We prepare ourselves mentally by making that shift, right? So we start in our minds. And then when I'm getting dressed, I have to take off my old clothes before I put on my new clothes, right? Imagine if your kid came in after playing outside and they're just covered in mud and they're dirty and they just have all this, you tell them, send them upstairs, go get changed. And they come back downstairs with clean clothes on, but their dirty clothes are still on underneath. You'd be like, what are you doing? You're still dirty. Well, I put on new, I put on clean clothes. Yeah, but you have to take off the old. If you don't take off the old, you're still dirty. And just in the same way, so many of us are so desperate. God, make me new. I don't want to keep falling into the same trap. And yet we don't take off the old. We're trying to add a little bit of Jesus on the top, and it's just not working. You have to rid yourself of the old. That's the only way. And I love this idea because you know what? You have to change a lot. <laughs> I remember when Jeff was working on this building, he'd come home and there'd be like five outfits. He was like, he had to change like six times. Some of you farmers probably know that. Like sometimes you have to change your clothes five or six times a day, right? So whatever you have to do to keep putting off the old man, put off those old things, get rid of it. And then we put on the new. Then we put on the new every single day. We say, God, I'm now going to clothe myself with the things of God 
I'm going to put myself in alignment with what you said. And I'm going to choose your path and choose your way. And I'm going to choose to walk in your ways. Paul's given us a formula to walk out this good news of Christ. We're not saved by following a bunch of rules, but we have to be purposeful about living a life that honors God. And he tells us this will happen by putting off the old and putting on the new. Let's bow our heads as we close today. If everybody just keeps your head bowed, I don't know today what what the Holy Spirit has been bringing to your remembrance today as we've been talking. Maybe there's something old that keeps coming back and you're like, God, I just, I'm just so tired of the same thing and you are at need, God, to just do something in your heart today. You can ask him. He will help you. Maybe some of you have had are experiencing the consequences of your actions, of others' actions. And today you, first of all, need healing for God to come to those places and bring restoration. Because here's the truth about a lot of those things. Those cycles keep continuing if we don't make a decision to stop it. And so today we have to realign ourselves and say, God, I put myself under your authority. I put myself under the boundaries that you set out. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what the world says is okay. It doesn't matter what the messaging says is great. It doesn't matter if it's what I want. It doesn't even matter if it's what comes most naturally to me. I trust that every boundary you put in my life is for my highest good and my highest benefit. And so I bring myself back into the alignment of what you say. And I believe that the hand of mercy will come over me. And as I put you first and continue to seek you first, that you will bring clarity where there has been confusion. You will bring a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit, new passions and desires. And you will bring back into wholeness what has been broken. So, Lord, I thank you today that there is power when we choose to do things your way. Lord, I pray that we would get our own house clean. Lord, that we would repent. That we have picked up just as many of the customs of the world. And so, Father, we are asking that you help us to live holy, righteous lives in alignment with who you are and what you have asked of us. And, Lord, we believe that we can change the world when we bring the hand of God back. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. It's not in our own strength, but according to your Holy Spirit in us. Lord, I pray that everyone today here would leave with a heart filled with hope, that there would be no condemnation, but a simple hope that you will make all things new. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. We're going to have some teams up here. If you'd like prayer this morning, we would be honored to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great week.